Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. Dr. Tariq Pickens creates powerful, groundbreaking, award-winning scholarship in the fields of Arab American studies, Black studies, comparative literature, and disability studies. She wrote Black Madness, Mad Blackness, a theoretical tour de force that fundamentally shapes black disability studies. Her editorial work ushered in new conversations about black disability studies in two major journals, African-American Review and College Language Association Journal. Her first monograph, New Body Politics, Narrating Black and Arab Identity in the United States, brought together Arab and black American literary and cultural production through the lenses of black feminism and disability studies. Professor Pickens' public writing refuses to diminish the complexities of our world for a wider public. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Black Girl Nerds, The Counter, Inside Higher Ed, and Miss Magazine. She's a sought-after podcast guest who brings wit, excitement, and humor to every program that she is on. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome to the program Dr. Cherie Pickens. Hey, hey, hey. It's good to be back. How are y'all? It's great. It's great. Great to have you on and great to be in conversation with you again. I have about three really thorny, controversial topics that I want to talk with you about All uh, right. <laughs> this this evening. So we're just going to just going to dive right in. As you know, um, uh, VP Antoinette uh, Bonnie Kendia Bailey, mm-hmm. um, the VP of Student Affairs at Lincoln University, uh, Missouri, um, mm-hmm. died by suicide uh, a couple of weeks back. And uh, the the president of that institution has been put on uh, a leave. I think it's paid leave. Um, but it's obviously it's a tragic story. Right, yeah. Doc? But but I, I don't think that we often understand this longer history of what black women have had to contend with in the academy. And yeah. as someone who has, you know, prosecuted a very successful career uh, in academe. I, I just wonder what your thoughts are about that situation. I mean, the, the you know, the claims were that she's being bullied by the president of the institution. And yeah. m- my sense is, is that's probably not the only challenge institutionally that she faced. And so I wonder if you can reflect back on that a little bit for us to help our listeners understand the complexities of, 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 of black women in leadership roles in institutions of higher education. Sure. So there's a couple of other names that I just want to say that are part of this conversation. Uh, former president of Temple, Joanne Epps, mm-hmm. and uh, Dr. Arunthia T. Montague, uh, who also, who passed away. That's right. Um, and so they're part of a longer, larger conversation. Um, and I can't help but invoke Shanna Benjamin's book, Half in Shadow, the one that's about Nellie McKay. Nellie McKay, uh, Nellie Y. McKay, who used to be at University of Wisconsin-Madison mm-hmm. um, passed away from cancer. And uh, she's part of a litany of Black women who passed away from cancer, um, who were also academics and, and many of them administrators. The, the desire to do field-building work, institutional-building build, work, is often one that black women academics simply have because we are trained academically and have a desire academically to lift as we climb. It is a, um, it's a mandate for what turns into a vocation. Mm-hmm. Um, so the academy as a professor, it, it doesn't feel just like a job. It feels like the thing you were born to do and the thing you sacrifice to do. And so 
when there's a service component to the job, you're not just coming in, teaching your classes and doing your research and going home. Mm. You are writing letters of recommendation. You are developing policy. You go from pet to threat. You are in situations where there is no one to protect you, no one to tell you, yeah, I saw that too. No one to say, okay, here's how we can strategize to make sure that you feel and are safe. Mm -hmm. And so these women's deaths, not only did we watch someone be uh, ushered off a stage and the the party went on as they lay dying. That was so Um, scary. Wow. Yeah. It it just, uh, the, I reread the reports, um, the news and just was astounded by the fact that the, the way the story is narrated, she slumps over Dr. Um, or president, former president Joanne Epps slumps over in a chair is carried out. And as she is, uh, going on to join the ancestors, the, the ceremony program continues. It feels like a really callous thing, but that is exactly what happened. Yes. And I think it is a startling example of how it is that black women's labor is desired, needed, and then also taken for granted mm. that the logics, the antebellum logics of the country don't cease functioning in our current moment, such that black women's labor is understood as what keeps the country running, what keeps the institutions running, mm-hmm. but also the thing that can be most easily sacrificed. Professor Turi, I've been accused of being a little bit too academic here, so you're gonna have to break down the antebellum logics that are that that are Ooh, still persisting yes. in us. <laughs> it's been a teaching day, so I'm I'm in that mode. Yes. So antebellum refers to the period of enslavement. Mm -hmm. And the logic that occurs there is that black women are required for the slavery system, which was economic, political, social, cultural. And that system was predicated on pleasure and profit. Mm -hmm. And with black women, the pleasure um, as you can imagine it with sexual exploitation, sexual assault, rape, mm-hmm. and that resulted in profit because, um, the condition of the slave was, con- was followed from the condition of the mother. Mm-hmm. And so black women's, um, bodies were the places of, uh, enslavers pleasure and profit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that logic, uh, the way that that functions in the institution is that black women are there for the pleasure of the institution to make it look good, mm. to shore up its uh, so-called commitment to racial equity and diversity and to create a profit as a result of their face being on certain things or their um, or their labor working to make sure that the institution stays afloat. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as they can be dispatched with, um, they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a, a, that sounds cruel and calculated. And often it doesn't feel like it's that cruel and calculated. It feels like for a lot of people, the um, coincidence of circumstance, it, it's, oh, it's a, it's a confluence of, oh, this person didn't mean it. And this is just so how it happened. Mm-hmm. But, the logic means that it keeps happening over and over again. So we have to look at the system in which it's this occurs. occurs. Mm-hmm. So you're already segueing into my uh, next piece and, and, and definitely uh, RIP to, to, to sister, uh, uh, Kandia Bailey. I mean, I, I, 
it's just hard to fathom. You know, I have a lot of people very close to me in my life and in my world that are academics and institutional leaders. So that that story is that's a harrowing story yeah. uh, 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 to me. But but you're already segueing into to the, the next piece I want to talk to you about while we have you here is I, I'd love to hear your thoughts about about. Uh, what happened to former President uh, Claudine Gay, to Professor uh, uh, Claudine Gay up at Harvard? I know, I know, you and I have had some sidebar conversations about. It. I've talked about it a lot uh, on 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 air. Um, but but where where do you you know kind of where do you stand on 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 that piece? When I first heard the story, um, it was around the time where the New York Times reported that the Harvard Corporation was standing by her, mm-hmm. and I thought. This isn't going, this is not going to be permanent. Something is going to happen. Mm. And then when it happened, I got the information via text message from a friend of mine. And my first thought was, this could be any one of us. That's right. So university presidents are not trained in political theater. And so that's what was happening at those congressional hearings. Mm-hmm. And no one said anything to her about the slippery line that she has to walk as a university president, that that was a very different line than one has to walk in front of politicians. And so the inability or refusal to prepare her for what she encountered and the inability and or refusal to stand by her when she said something that is very common to the university setting, which is that free speech includes things people don't want to hear. That's right. Um, And has to include context and has has to to include context, right? Has to. Mm -hmm. Um, And after that, the charges of plagiarism were very, they were just odd. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how you look at a dissertation that was written on paper, kind of missing quotation mark and call it uh, plagiarism or literally on paper. Like this is how far back they went. That's right. That's right. Like we needed correction tape at that point, right? Like, you know, this was something that we were using whiteout. We were right. using, literally, I'm not exaggerating. We were using whiteout. Young George whiteout. is cracking up in the studio. We were using whiteout back then, but no. But but hold on, hold on, Professor. Mm-hmm. No one talked about that. Maybe we were having these conversations sidebar, but you, the yeah. New York Times in the dozens of stories didn't talk about that. Yeah, I mean, there are reporters who remember what it was to type a story without a computer. So I'm not entirely sure how that missed, how that missed them. I don't know. But there's also this other issue of not being able to read academic discourse. Now, there's a lot that, you know, I try to be an accessible writer. I try to help people edit to be accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, but academic conversations are built on the idea that people are joining with a degree of information. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of shorthand and we call that jargon and we call that academies. Mm-hmm. And that's for the ease of communication between people who have a shared knowledge, a shared baseline. Are you it calling me a nerd? Are you calling me a nerd right now? I I mean I'm I'm there with you. Okay. So okay. I okay. you know, pot kettle. Okay. Pot kettle. Okay. All right. Um, All right. All right. <laughs> But, you know, it is alienating Mm -hmm. to the rest of us Mm -hmm. uh, or to the, I guess I can't say us, uh, to to other folks. It is. It Um, is. 
<laughs> it's alienating the same way that if I go into a hardware store knowing nothing about anything that's sold there, mm-hmm. uh, that I need a translator. And so when you look at the case of Dr. Claudine Gay, you are also looking at people who refuse to translate academic discourse for a public. Right. And that resulted in the fully, like, I have many words, um, the wrongheaded assumptions about what was going on in her writing, mm-hmm. uh, things that just didn't didn't make sense to those of us who were in the industry. Mm-hmm. 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 I feel like this is my Cat Williams interview, and I'm about to be telling the <laughs> truth. So, so <laughs> while, while, while we're in the space, I appreciate the truth telling I do. While we're in the space, the third piece I want to talk about, and, and I want you to be careful here, Therese, seriously on this, but I, yeah. I'm curious. I mean, you have studied Arab American culture and its interface with black culture. And I, and I would love for you to, to do two things. As long as you're comfortable talking about it, I, I would love to, yep. to for you to think with this, with our listeners a little bit about the interface as you see it between black Americans and, and, and Palestinians and, and, and why so many black Americans feel a sense of solidarity with the challenges yeah. that we're, that, that we're seeing there. And, and, and then, you know, I was, we opened up the, the, the show with a, with a clip from Representative Maxine Waters, who, who's saying, mm-hmm. Hey, when we, when we see what's going on with the Houthi rebels and the U.S. strikes, this thing could be World War Three. Yeah. I, I, I'm just curious as to from the, from, from your understanding of the Arab American perspective, kind of how do you, how do you see those, those two pieces? And again, like I, I fully understand that talking about this, and saying the wrong thing, folks, you know, might, might come after you. So I, I want you to be smart and careful about it. But I, I'm just curious as to your your sense about uh, about that conflict from those two uh, uh, perspective points. Okay, sure. So I want to do a little bit of a history lesson. So Arab American um, Arab American immigration has three different waves. So there's the first wave in the late 19th century mm-hmm. and early 20th century. And then there is a second wave after the, um, after 1924. Uh, okay. Um, once immigration laws shifted. And then there is a third wave post 1948, post 1967. And those, those two years are crucial for two reasons. The first is in 1948, there's the, violent formation of the state of Israel. Correct. Um, and the formation of the state of Israel is comes about because the rest of the world feels guilt, shame, and embarrassment as a result of the worldwide uh, eugenics and um, white supremacist, anti-Semitic, ideas and policies that led to the rise of fascism in Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. And in 1967, there's the Arab-Israeli war, sometimes called the Six-Day War, um, also called the Naksa, which was a sound defeat where the state of Israel decimated uh, Arab, uh, kind of pan-Arab armies um, in six days. Mm. And so that leads to a large amount of immigrants in the U.S. from uh, from the Arab world who are politically activated, hmm. who understand themselves as uh, 
citizens of the global south, you know, before we had that language of the global majority, people of color. Mm-hmm. And while all of this is happening in the U.S., you have black soldiers coming back from World War II who are being lynched and spit on in the streets. Mm-hmm. And they are deeply concerned with what was called the double V, the victory at home and abroad, and a desire for uh, desegregation efforts. Mm-hmm. And so... Those soldiers, um, veterans, are largely the ones who um, we celebrate. So, Megar Evans was a veteran, right? Like, there's a, um, there's a long history of Black veteran advocacy. And in addition to that, uh, 1967, you have Black Panthers. You have the wake of uh, King uh, mm-hmm. and X, mm-hmm. and all of these folks who are watching global events. And are deeply concerned that they recognize themselves in the Palestinians. Mm. And so they are looking at what appears to them like separate but equal. Mm. Mm. Doc, doc, we we, we got to take a commercial break. I want to bring you back and just pick it right where we left off. Absolutely. We, we, we're in conversation with Dr. Tariq Pickens and going a little bit in depth into the history of the interface between black Americans, African-Americans and Arab Americans and the formation of the state of Israel and the different conflicts have taken place through history to understand the solidarity that our community feels with Palestinians. You're listening to Evening Words. I'm your host, Dr. James Peterson. We are live on WRD 900 AM, 96.1 FM. We'll be back after these messages. Time for a traffic update on Word Radio. We've got a vehicle fire on the Atlantic City Expressway. This is eastbound in Camden County between Williamstown and Winslow Blue Anchor. The right lane's blocked here through the area. Elsewhere, the Schuylkill Expressway, that's heavy eastbound. Blue Ridge to Belmont Avenue. Also Montgomery Drive out to University Avenue. Westbound, we're heavy from University Avenue to Girard Avenue and City Avenue to Belmont Avenue. Jamming up on 95 northbound Allegheny Avenue to Bridge Street. Heavy on the Boulevard northbound between 76 and Broad Street. The Line backs up westbound 8th to the Schuylkill, 676 in Camden. That's heavy southbound Collings Avenue, 276. Report brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Looking for a career you love with flexibility, great pay and benefits, and one of the country's top workplaces? Join the growing team at Progressive Insurance. Go to Progressive.com slash careers and apply online today. And for more traffic information, log on to SigAlert.com. I'm Jason Lee with your Philadelphia area traffic. Words of empowerment. Oh, I am Vera Portier, and I am the founder of Every Heartbeat Counts. Yes. Younger generation, please. Life is short. Love one another. Take care of one another. Advocate for one another. Be kind. We're better together. We are better together. Talk to your parents. Reach out to somebody in 100 Black Men. You are loved. I know you feel like we're a little disconnected. I'm willing to talk to you and connect with you and just get on the same wavelength. We love you. This is Words of Joy and Empowerment on WURD, Progressive Black Talk Media. Audio provided by Love Now Media. These words of joy and empowerment are brought to you by Wells Fargo, Mainline Health, and the Pennsylvania Lottery. Start your new year with a membership at the African American Museum in Philadelphia. Membership includes unlimited visits to the museum, and you'll be the first to hear details about our four signature events, MLK Day, Black History Month, Juneteenth, and Kwanzaa. Don't miss out. Sign up today at aampmuseum.org. Hey. 
Philly homeowners, did you recently receive your real estate tax bill in the mail? The city of Philadelphia has a special program qualifying homeowners can receive a one-time credit up to $500. Add it to their real estate tax account. It could be used for 2023 or 2024 tax bill or as a credit for future years. Apply at philagovernor forward slash council dot tax credit before January 31st. 2024. Fill forward slash council dot tax credit. Tune in to EcoWord Magazine, hosted by POC, the first Friday at 11 a.m. for the PA Lottery EcoWord Tip of the Day. Brought to you by PA Lottery, benefiting older Pennsylvanians every day. Where's the professor? And now back to Evening Words with Dr. James Peterson on WURD, Progressive Black talk media welcome back to evening words i'm your host james peterson we are in classroom really we're in class <laughs> right now with, with professor pickens but getting that that deep history and doc i want to one of the reasons why i wanted to kind of explore this is because a lot of folks call in and and they're dismayed about what they're seeing on tv and you know a lot of people call in and there's like they don't understand the chilling effect on discourse. Like you can't even say this. You can't even say that, you know, like I've, I've said genocide on the air and people call them and say, don't say that. We don't want you to lose your platform. Like it, there's so, so I, I, the reason why this history is important, I think for the ongoing conversation of this show is to, to give some, you know, to, to provide a little of the historical substance that informs, I think how people are operating. So it's fascinating to me to think about, Black American veterans and them th- their disenchantment upon returning home and the the politics of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King thinking globally about the plight of peoples of color and those Arab those Arab Americans or soon to be Arab Americans who are coming to this country out of those conflict areas and the kind of solidarity established in that space across those distinct groups that's really powerful to me so I I just want to give a little recap and and and, and pick up your 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 story from 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 where you were before the break please. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, before the break, we were in 1967 and folks were looking at black folks were looking at Palestinians thinking, we know what this looks like. Mm. We know separate but equal. We know the taking of land. We know uh, what it is to feel like you are entitled to a citizenship that is not available to you. Hmm. And I think when we talk about black veterans, we also have to think about their participation in the military in wars where they were not necessarily on the side of the U.S.'s aims. Hmm. So one of the more famous examples we point to is Muhammad Ali, which is also another connection to Muslim Arab Americans. Um and his refusal to fight in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have to think about someone like Malcolm X, who was engaged with the Nation of Islam. And one of the women who assists him with understanding his faith differently is Haji Alia Al-Ogdi Al-Hassan, who is of Dearborn, who was of Dearborn, Michigan, Larry Hamha. And her, um, she assists him, she assists him with what it means to be in submission to the five pillars of Islam. Mm. So his understanding of his faith, his understanding of how to live that out uh, toward the latter ends of his uh, life was shaped by a profound encounter with 
Arab Americans, Muslim Arab Americans. Mm-hmm. I want to also be clear that the reason why I'm specifying that there are Muslim Arab Americans is because there are also Christian Arab Americans. That's right. Um, and Jewish Arab Americans right. and agnostic Arab Americans. Right. They, they are a, uh, wide and deep and varied group. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and so when folks who, uh, immigrate to the U.S. are immigrating because they cannot go, uh, back to their countries of origin, their communities. So think about like Houston, Texas mm-hmm. and, uh, Patterson, New Jersey mm-hmm. and, you're born in Detroit, Michigan, they're next to black folks. And so the Arab American left um, in the mid 20th century finds political allies in black folks. There's an uneasy analogy between Palestine and uh, being second class citizens here in the U.S. It's not, it's not a perfect analogy. Mm-hmm. And one of these things is is not always like the other. And yet the similarities cannot be missed. So you have a long history of black folks thinking as global citizens, and you also have a long history of Arab folks finding solidarity with black folks. Wow. So today, as those of us who have social media accounts are engaged and watching Motaz, Azaza, and uh, Bissan, and we are... Uh, looking at folks chronicling their lives on the ground, people who are starving, you can hear the bombs dropping in the background. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is horrifying. Mm-hmm. Because as a Black person, what I know to be true is that when I look at those Palestinian children, when I look at those Palestinian adults when I think about the fact that Gaza is about the size of Philly, Mm -hmm. I think about my people. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason why I was, I was and am so invested in Arab American studies is because as a little kid in Patterson, I would get lost. (laughs) Mm. And depending on what language I answered to, I was always mistaken for, somebody else's child, mm. um, Arab child, Latinx child, <laughs> black child. Right, you can go a lot of different ways. You can go a lot of different yeah, ways. That's right. What, you know, yes. whatever. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think always being treated with love and respect mm-hmm. meant that there was another group of people who felt like kin. Mm. And so because black folks have always in this country thought globally, um, I'm thinking about David Walker and his appeal to the colored citizens mm, of the world. Mm. Um, thinking globally for me meant also thinking about what it means for Arab Americans to have Palestine as a particular political flashpoint mm. and what it means to be in solidarity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So right now, yeah, I'd call it a genocide. Um, and right now, and a famine, and and, and a complete a residential uh, destruction, destruction of universities, destruction yeah. of. I mean, the life is obviously premium, but destruction of the, the entire infrastructure of, of a whole society. Yep. And Bissan's question a couple of weeks ago was, "What can we go back to? Am mm-hmm. I lucky to have survived this?" Hmm. And that is a hard question. Hmm. Um, I also want to point out that 
as we consider this and as we look at um, these images, it is crucial to not think that this is not black folks' problem. Hmm. Hmm. Because in when we were invested in boycott, divestment, and sanctions for South Africa, mm-hmm. that was our problem. Mm-hmm. Um, it's no surprise to me that South Africa uh, is the country whose lawyers wow. are bringing the Look charges. Look at how history Minnesota. works. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Because the apartheid regime, regime in South Africa was financially supported by the state of Israel. Mm. And so the... The concern that black folks should have, probably do have, I know I certainly have it, is if the U.S. can support this for people abroad, mm-hmm. what else is possible? Mm-hmm. And it don't look good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it is out the box to suggest that we are, as uh, Maxine Waters said, looking at something very volatile. Wow. And black folks cannot afford to look away. And we cannot afford to say it's not our problem. Mm, mm, mm. Mm, mm, mm. Professor Tari Pickens, I, I thank you so much for spending so much time with us. I know you're extraordinarily uh, busy and thank you for the, for the history, the historical context around, around that, that global solidarity that folks feel, but sometimes it's good to remind us of the history to understand the value and the, and the weight of it. That's a hefty reciprocal sense of solidarity between Arab Americans and African Americans. And I think that, you know, we, we, a lot of times we say, Hey, well, it's, that's a, you're getting a lot of love on Facebook right now, Doc. A lot of love. They're, they're saying stay up. They're saying stay up and keep up the good fight, you know. But there, sometimes we, 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 we hide that reciprocal political history in the religion, especially here in Philadelphia, because it's such a, such a strong and powerful and important, uh, mm-hmm. uh Muslim population. But it's, it's, that's, it, thank you for that is, is what I want to say. We, we are, we are out of time, but I, I appreciate you coming on the airwaves and and doc i hope i hope you'll come back and and share some of your knowledge again sometime Absolutely. soon anytime anytime one last thing mm-hmm. before i go mm-hmm. free palestine mm. Mm. thank free you palestine. doc thank you so much you 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 listen thank you so much we appreciate you You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com.